0: Today is November 3rd, 2020, and this
1: is the On The Bump Podcast.
0: We are back. We are back. We are back. That is it. We are back. That is the catchphrase for the Daily Sports Network. Now it's making its way to the On the Bump podcast. Got a lot to do today. Obviously, the World Series ended last week. The Los Angeles Dodgers won the World Series. And we'll get into that in a second. Today we're going to go over pretty much everything. Our our winners of all the major awards. Uh, If there was... Of, uh, what do they call it? The Summer Classic? Is that the expression for the All-Star game? No. Yeah. What is it called? Yeah. Midsummer Classic. Midsummer Classic. There you go. We'll give our Midsummer Classic predictions, and it's going to be a fun one. But before we get into all the awards, and this is our award show, this is the On the Bump Award show, we do want to touch a little bit on the World Series before we go any, f- any more forward than we are. Todd, a little recap on the World Series.
1: So Kevin Cash is a nerd. Um, he relies way too much on the analytics guys and he let it cause him to make a huge mistake of a decision. When Blake Snell was dealing, he decided for whatever reason, there must've been some Excel spreadsheet that some dweeb crunched. Don't get me wrong. I love Excel. My day job, I work in Excel all day long. Love Excel. It's great. Should it be used for making baseball decisions in the heat of the moment in the world series? when your ace is dealing, the answer is no. So Kevin Cash makes that decision. And you heard after the game, guys, like Kevin Kiermaier, all those guys saying how they believed in believed in Blake Snell. It was one of his best starts of the season. They hadn't seen him pitch like that in a while. I think he could have carried them to a game seven, you know, gone eight innings. His pitch count was low. Everything was working in his favor. I know he had given up a hit to begin that inning, but he's one of your best arms. I get your bullpen is one of your strengths, but the guy they brought in, Nick Anderson, at that moment, actually was having a very poor postseason, despite pitching well in the regular season. So there must have been some longer-term data set they were looking at that told them – that there was some statistic that made it worthwhile to bring in Nick Anderson to this game when everyone who was using their eyes instead of their Excel spreadsheets could have told you that Nick Anderson was going to get carved up. So Kevin Cash made a huge mistake. It cost them the World Series. And you know the the, the analytics are a part of the game. We like to use analytics. I would say to to judge players in a comparison setting but when you're in the game in the heat of the moment there's no calculation for that and I think that's something that the Rays as an organization are going to have to learn. The Dodgers have done a good job of balancing analytics along with having guys who are ready to step up at the right moments.
0: A few things. First thing is I don't know why we're surprised that Kevin Cash did what he did. That's the first thing I want to say. Because he did it all through the season, he did it all through the playoffs, it's what got them there. I don't know why we're surprised that he stuck with that. Another thing to get in before anything else I say, you mentioned the Dodgers have found a good way to do it. I just think they the results worked out in their favor. They did a very similar thing in the series with uh, Kershaw in – Game one and game uh, five. Game five was the Sunday night game. So it was game one and five. And they pulled him a little earlier than I think you normally would for Kershaw. And they got bailed out in game five by Urias or game one by Urias. One of those games, Urias bailed him out like he did in game six, but their analytics are almost identical. They do have their GM, Andrew Friedman is the former GM of the temp there is So, it's a very similar system when it comes to their analytics. So they just got bailed out because, or they, it makes them look like they're successful at what they're doing and they know what they're doing because it worked.
1: It easily has more talent,
0: but ha, I mean, both teams won their, won their league. So it got them there that far and they used the same system in the playoffs. The, you know, the Dodgers didn't back off their analytics. So I, 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 I don't,
1: there were a lot of down teams in the American League this year. I think the shortened season especially played to the Rays' strength in the American League where a lot of the teams in the American League are kind of designed for a long-term 162-game season where the the spurts that certain players go through in the short term – on a team like the Rays and their mix and match kind of philosophy that can work in your favor in a 60 game season, but it kind of averages out usually over the course of a 162 game season, which is what I find amazing about baseball and why I think baseball is the best sport because you get to know at the end of 162 games, you have a true sense of who the best teams are because it tends to average itself out.
0: I don't think it's fair to say though, that, the the american league was was weaker because it was kind of constructed the same way i mean you had the american league central and the nl central both both divisions brought three three teams into the playoffs you had the the west in the nl the dodgers kind of ran away with it and then um the al east the rays kind of ran away with it it kind of bound, i mean the al east was kind of similar to the uh, excuse me nl east was kind of similar to the al west so it kind of it all kind of blended in the same. And I, and I think to the point of everything would have evened out over a course of 162 games, I don't think we were far off from what we would have gotten. I mean, of course, there's teams that would have gotten hotter, of course.
1: But like, I think any of the top three teams in the National League would have beaten the race in the World Series.
0: I don't know about that. I don't think Dodgers,
1: Braves, Padres, but any one we. of them.
0: The Rays took uh, – we have. we we're doing this thing where we're
1: crowning the any Dodgers. Any American – they would have beaten any American League team.
0: But we're crowning the Dodgers like, like it's like this – like they were this mammoth compared to the Rays. The Rays took them to six and were in just about every game outside of – Well, Miami. the
1: Dodgers have been to three of the last four World Series. I think that's more of the reason why we consider them a mammoth.
0: No, but I know – They've I been do-
1: hanging around okay. for years I'm not where damn- the Rays kind of come and go.
0: I'm not downplaying, like, what they've done, their body of work. I'm just saying we're still talking about the difference in the two teams and the World Series is over, and we just saw that Rays team take them to six and be competitive in all six. Easily we're, we're within a flipping distance of getting it to seven. Then who knows? It wasn't like they swept them or took them in five.
1: Like I said on last week's podcast, if you've been a loyal listener of On the Bump, the Rays could less afford to make a mistake. The mistake was taking Blake Snell out of the game and it cost them. The Dodgers have more talent than the Rays. They took advantage of that. And once they were in position with those last three innings, you could kind of sense the air in the stadium, sense the air around the team that they could sniff it. They could smell blood and it was pretty much over at that point.
0: Yeah. I mean, and, that game goes on. Obviously, Dodgers win. We all know that by now. It's hard to recap something we all know. Um, but the game ends. They do the trophy presentation. Obviously, we've all heard about um, the story with Justin Turner that surprisingly hasn't been talked out any, talked about as much as I thought it would be after. Um, but the more story of that whole moment, I think even bigger than Justin Turner, was that Rob Manfred was um, – I it's okay. I've heard different stories and I would like to believe them both in different ways. The one reason I've, the one thing I've heard is that he had the microphone that was giving feedback in his ear. And if you've ever had a microphone and you have one in and you're trying to talk, and if it's a second off, the sound does mess you up and you're trying to keep up with what you're hearing. That that's a very valid, valid thing. The one that I want to believe is true is that he was just really intoxicated. Like, he was really drunk. And regardless of what way I want to believe, it certainly has not been talked enough by media, by press, on Twitter. It kind of died with that night, and I kind of blame Justin Turner.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of the topics of that night kind of died out. You, you're not really hearing a ton of baseball news surrounding any of the aftermath of the World Series on, on both of those fronts. Um, Rob Manfred, I mean – I have such a beef with Rob Manfred. I, I don't know what was going on at the end of the World Series. I, I would like to believe that it's just a matter of like you said, the mic feedback. It was just a bizarre night in general and that kind of capped it off. Like the final couple innings of that game just had a weird feeling to them. And it was kind of it was a very weird ending to the baseball season and an already very weird baseball season. It was just a very bizarre ending. And Rob Manfred's, I think, going to continue to ruin baseball. Um, fire Rob Manfred. If Rob Manfred wanted to come on this podcast, we wouldn't allow him. He's not invited. He is not a friend of the podcast. I'm so, gonna,
0: hold on. I'm going to throw a disclaimer, and I can guarantee you this. If the commissioner of Major League Baseball wants nah. to come on this um, – No, no, no. Hold on. You're vetoed. If he would like to come on the on, the, I'm going to speak this ladder to the mic. Rob Manfred, speaking to you. If you would like to come on the on the bump podcast, you are more than welcome to join us on the, on the bump podcast. I, if you feel more comfortable, I will kick Todd off for the day. Okay, finish. I statement. mean,
1: I would, I would not show up to that episode anyway. So
0: yes, he would. Yes, he would. Can, you can is.
1: have, you can have a solo interview with Rob Manfred. Ask him, ask him why he's doing away with the NLDH. Ask him.
0: Oh, Producer Bob, that's what was going to say. Producer Bob, Bob that's going to say. There he is. No, I was going to – no, go ahead. Background. Air, air all your – We Oh, yeah, go, go.
1: Okay, yeah. I mean, I'm going to blame Rob Manfred for daylight savings time. It feels like it's 3 a.m. right now as we're recording. It's really about 7.45. Maybe Rob Manfred has something to do with this, like he had something to do with doing away with the NLDH, which worked out perfectly this year. Real quick, um, I, I don't want
0: to, I'm going to let you finish in a second. Um, just for the viewers out there that heard you complaining about daylight savings time, you are how old?
1: Almost 27
0: years old. Almost 27. So almost 27 years he's dealt with the time change and he is angry about it because it just happened two days ago. Like he didn't expect it. Go,
1: go on. Okay. Well, Rob Manfred might be to blame for that. We could also blame Rob Manfred, like I said, for the, reversing the DH rule in the NL, which kind of ruins things for a lot of our guys, like our boy Dom Smith, big friend of the podcast. Dom, if you're listening, come through. Um, The seven-inning doubleheader has been discussed, and now there's talk around the Twitterverse about a neutral field world series. This isn't the Super Bowl. It's The World Series is not a major commercial event in that aspect where it's a a week of festivities and sponsorships going on. Baseball is about the game and the games and the stadium atmosphere and the teams that get there deserving to have their stadium be a host and have their fans in their local areas have easy access. So Rob Manfred, don't even think about doing that.
0: I have a few things to say on Rob Manfred. Now, do I like what he's done as a commissioner? Not really. But I think in any sport, it's incredibly difficult to be a commissioner. I think baseball is on a different level of the difficulty. I'm, and I'm not I'm, I'm not trying to say that to excuse Rob Manfred for the bad mistakes he's made. If it sounds like that, I'm going to take,
1: take a sip of a drink for this.
0: That's not the intention. The intention here is what I'm saying is baseball is one of those sports where you have the two – different groups of people are battling. You have the fans of baseball who are old school purists, and then you have the baseball that are the new age and want everything. Because believe it or not, there you may not see it, but there is a major fan base out there that loves the 7-8 doubleheaders, that loves neutral slight world series. There is. There has to be. There's no, they, they, they put this in a focus group before Rob Manfred just comes out and says it. It's not just so He doesn't wake up at eight a.m. on a on a, mon- a Monday and go. You know what? I think I'm going to change the whole. Well, it's seven
1: a.m. now because he set the clocks back. So. Yeah, Rob Manfred set the clocks back. Well, he probably
0: did in his own house. Um, but he probably forgot.
1: It. The, listen,
0: the nutri World Series. I kind of changed my tune. You know, we're talking all the time, and I. I felt at first I was like I don't hate it. The more I think about it, it does take away the edge of. Doing well in the regular season, I get that, and that's kind of. Me switching my feelings, but I I think a lot of things are are they're well thought out. There's a reason. It's not. Rob Manfred is just the voice of the MLB. He's not he's not making these decisions by himself. Um, and it stinks for Manfred because you have guys in the NBA and Adam Silver who does a fantastic job, and everybody wishes Adam Silver for the most part would be in every league, and. As much crap as Roger Goodell gets, he handles business pretty well. Uh, Compared to other commissioners, like the NHL Bettman's terrible, but Goodell handles things really well on the surface. So you look at those sports and you kind of get a little upset about it. But lucky enough for us, Rob Manfred does not decide on the awards for the season. That is decided by a bunch of different committees. And as we're talking about the awards – It is time for the On The Bump Award Show. Now, before we get in here, Todd, I have just gotten alert on the finalists for the MVP Awards. In both both leagues, without looking, don't look. I want you to try to guess the three finalists for each league. Okay, we'll start with the National League for
1: you. Freeman, um, Ozuna, and They're Tatis, they're Machado.
0: So you got two of them technically. So it's Freeman, Machado, and Mookie Betts. Ooh. Now, now, yes, now, now, guess the American League.
1: I'm pretty sure Jose Abreu, Jose Ramirez, and I really want it to be, so I'm just going to say it, and it's not going to be. My boy, DJ LeMahieu.
0: You got it. He's a finalist. No, let's
1: go. Mike Trout got left out. Mike Trout plays on a team that has a 400 winning percentage. I don't
0: don't care about what his percentage is. I don't care if you're the best player of all
1: time. You're not the MVP. He has to be a finalist. You can be the best player in baseball and not the MVP. The MVP. Sorry. No, okay. Let me finish The MVP award is – the key word in there is valuable. That's not to say that Mike Trout isn't valuable. But the Angels would suck with or without Mike Trout. Question,
0: where would the Yankees be without D.J. Mayhew? How many wins did he have? Not in the playoffs.
1: They would not be in the playoffs this year. This Uh, year they would not have made the playoffs with uh, their injuries – with their injuries, look at look at the stats, and we can get more into this. Spoil spoiler alert. I did not pick him as my national or my American League MVP. Thankfully. I think he's worthy of being a finalist. Mm-hmm. We'll get into who my pick is Listen, when I, the time comes.
0: I don't I don't think DJ shouldn't have been a finalist. But I think Mike Trout should have been over Ramirez. I I, I just think Trout I understand the team he's on, but like this is a stat right here. that just- Over
1: Ram- over who?
0: Ramirez. I, I just, I, listen, first, second oh. time since 2012, almost a decade, that Mike Trout will finish outside top two in AL MVP voting. So that means eight of the last nine years, seven of the last nine years, he's finished top two in the MLP, M- MVP
1: voting, which is- pretty Well, amazing. Ramirez- is second in the American League in WRC. Um, he's also, let's see, he's fourth, fifth in WRC plus. His team also made the playoffs. When he got hot, he carried his team to the playoffs. The Indians were in a rough spot at one point. He kind of, his run coincided obviously with the Indians making their push. Um, You could even look at he has one of the better OPSs. His OPS is the same as Mike Trout's. Better batting average, which batting average we know is kind of an antiquated stat at this point. Um, Much lower strikeout percentage. The list goes up.
0: Yeah, and I don't want to cut you off because I know these numbers will come back, but I'm sure we're going to talk about Jose Ramirez a lot more as we finish these awards off. Um, Basically, we're going to do this. We're going to give our predictions on the teams that would have made the All-Stars for American League and National League, and then we will get into the major voting, the major awards, and all that other good stuff. So, how we'll do this is we'll go through the National League first, and then we'll go to the American League, and we'll go position by position. So, Start with Todd. He'll tell you, his, for example, as catcher. And I'll tell you either I'm going to agree because there will be a bunch of agreements, I'm assuming. And then I'll get into mine. So, Todd, let's just kick it off. National League catcher, who do you got?
1: So my National League team is is very much focused, obviously, on the teams that make the playoffs. Because at the time that the All-Star game would have happened – You think midway through the season the teams in playoff contention would dominate the all-star rosters so my catcher here who this guy was also at for much of the fantasy baseball season he was a key part of my team is Travis Darnell
0: yeah and that we we can both give our stats in a second but that is going to be an agreement um obviously he, he he put on for it I mean even surprising to me now mind you I'm wearing my Mets jersey today I am wearing a Travis Darno Mets jersey he was my favorite oh. player he was my favorite player at one point pretty sad but that's the kind of situation where I don't get too sad about him because I don't know if he would have ever flourished with the Mets I think it took him going to the Dodgers and Rays to get that leap. but I I knew he was great in the postseason I looked at his numbers the regular season I was Shocked. I mean, he was second in the national league for amongst all catchers and home runs. Or not excuse me. I think second in the league in catchers and home runs behind uh no. That may have been national league members I was looking at. I, th- I think Gary Sanchez was a random one that had like eleven or something like that. But um thirty-four RBIs for Darno. He batted three thirty four, which was the best in the NL amongst catchers. He had a really good year.
1: Yeah, OPS plus one thirty eight. Um, OPS 919. You could have made a case here for for Will Smith, although I think Darno had the better numbers and better consistency throughout the year, and had more of an impact on his team. I think a lot of the Braves guys, as we'll see within these, at least for me with my All-Star picks, I think a bra- lot of the Braves guys had great seasons, and that led them to where they were, or where they ended up.
0: I think the problem too is Will Smith's name comes back up a little bit because of his success in the playoffs. I'm not saying we took that into account, but it kind of tricks your brain a little bit to think maybe you know. Definitely, I think this is a different discussion if we're doing this in July, you know, for a regular season and we're giving predictions then, whole different world. But of course, we're dealing with what we're dealing with, so that's how it's going to be. Moving on, first baseman, National League. I'll start. I I would hope it's pretty obvious. Um, yeah. and, that is, and that is Freddie Freeman, um, just a monster. He's one of the best defensemen, defensemen, defending players in the game, not even just the position. Um, 53 RBIs, 13 home runs. Every night he was just mashing, and yeah, this was an easy one.
1: Yeah, same. Pretty easy pick. Freddie Freeman's one of the best offensive players in baseball, the second highest OPS in baseball, slugging percentage through the roof. Guy gets on base a ton. Just every stat works in his favor, showing his value on the offensive side of the ball. Even at the beginning of the season, I'm pretty sure he dealt with COVID. So for him to come back, and he played all 60 games despite an off-season or preseason bout with with COVID. So for him to show up like that after after those events is pretty huge. He batted 341. Um, weighted on base average 456 like all the stats and all those stats are significantly above average top of the game top line stats there wasn't really anyone close in the first base race I mean you know Brandon felt had an okay season so did Paul Goldschmidt those guys could have been in the running if Freddie Freeman didn't exist or if you know if it was a traditional all-star game those guys one of those guys probably would have made it too but we're only picking starters here so yeah,
0: and I think been, Freeman I think that's what made it tough too was you're used to being like all right I can put Freeman in here but I can put this guy on the bench he still gets he still gets the all-star gratification so you'll see that come up for a few positions for me but we'll go to second base and just because I think we're going to be different here I'll let you start
1: I got Ozzy Albie's here. I'm go pretty Braves heavy here. Um, he had a great season by a lot of a lot of the measures. You know, consistent part of that Braves lineup. I think the second base position, and I'm interested to see who you say. If it's not Ozzy Albie's, it wasn't the deepest position pool in in the league. There aren't a ton of great second basemen in the National League but Ozzy Albies had a pretty good year um, on base slugging percentage, nearly 500 His OPS plus was 99 when average is hundred. So he was pretty average, but you know, he was like integral part of a, of a team that had a lot of success. It, he didn't play a ton of the season, but if you're, if you're going based on who, who would have gotten voted to an all-star game? I think it's probably Ozzy Albies.
0: Yeah, and, and for me, like you said, it wasn't a deep position, so it was tough. I did toy with the idea of Robinson Cano. He had really good numbers when he played. His average was super high, um, hit a bunch of bombs. He just missed a bunch of games, which kind of took away from – if he played a full season and his numbers reflected that, I think he would have easily been that guy. Well, my guy, after searching a little bit, I went – Donovan Solano, second baseman San Francisco Giants. This guy was good last year, played 54 games, he batted 326. Uh, his, the number you like to use, the uh, OPS plus, was 128. Um, he had 15 doubles, 15 doubles in 60 games, drove in 30 RBI, or 29 RBIs, and like I said, batted 326. He was really good. He was really efficient for a bad team. Him and uh, – well, the Giants actually were in the race for a little bit there. Um, him and Mike Yastrzemski – or Mike Yastrzemski, yeah. They both really set the tone for the Giants' offense. And Solano was really impressive, and he was a guy that, if I didn't look deep into the numbers, I may not have found him.
1: He was also a pretty, pretty hot fantasy pickup. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did well out of weeks. Yeah, so
0: Sunday-based Eno was very tough. We start moving into positions that maybe aren't as tough, but still maybe have differences because I feel like I definitely have one that's different. Um, Third baseman, I go right to Manny Machado. Uh, Now we've seen he is an MVP finalist. Um, He's listed in most places as a shortstop. Um, But then when I looked at some other places, he's listed as third base. So I'm just going to give him the third base nod. He clearly played third base. Um, 16 home runs, 57 RBIs, pretty self-explanatory. 304, he had a really nice year, Um, really nice year. Him and Tatis proved to start off a level of dominance. And, yeah, I like Machado.
1: Yeah, I mean, Machado's a bona fide MVP candidate. OPS, 950, you know, 47 RBIs in a 60-game season. That's pretty pretty incredible if you space that out, if you kind of project that out across a 162-game season. OPS plus of 158. I mean, he's he, he was obviously a huge part of the Padres' success, and a lot of people kind of questioned that deal when it happened as to, you know, why the Padres, why would he go there? But it seems to be a pretty smart move. Padres are going to be hanging around as a contender for quite a while here now that built for for long-term success, and he's a key part of it. Yeah. Also a 68 hits in a 60-game yeah. season. He was, a mon- he was just a monster.
0: I, I, I toyed around the idea. I looked at some stats, and I, I toyed around the idea of Nolan Arenado, and here's why. His batting numbers were not good. That is not any way to brush that apart. He's
1: arguably the best defensive player in baseball.
0: That's that's what started. like, And Manny Machado, obviously, it would have been hard to jump in, but if Manny didn't exist, I would have really considered it because his defense, if we're going this year, was – Elite level. I mean, it was one of his best defensive seasons, I think. So he puts himself in a category that his glove is so good, and he's Nolan Arenado, where he almost can get that nod just with that ability.
1: Yeah. So. And I mean, he didn't have bad offensive stats. It wasn't a bad year for him. So he could have made terrible. a case there. Yeah, he, started. he probably would have. Yeah. Like I said, not a great start.
0: If Manny didn't exist, I think we have a different discussion, but Manny being there kind of makes that hard.
1: Shortstop? He probably makes it in a deeper all-star game pool.
0: 100%. 100%. Shortstop here. I think we're going to differ here, so I'm going to start it up here. And everyone's going to be like, what in the world? I love the season that uh, Trey Turner had for the Washington Nationals. Um, I understand Fernando Tatis did what he did, but the deeper the stats went, I liked Trey Turner that much more. For a guy that was never really a power hitter, hit 12 home runs in 60 games, 41 RBIs, that kind of translates out to like a 30 home run season, maybe 31-10 for a guy that has never even been that kind of threat to hit that way. And most of this came from the leadoff hole. Uh, batted 335, stole 12 bases, which is he wasn't that as high in the NL as he usually is. Maybe that's because he was focusing on other things. And his defense was was good enough To I think his defensive numbers was higher than Tatis, so I'm gonna take Trey Turner here. I I like his season.
1: I had some trouble with this, but then I ultimately went in the direction of Tatis for a couple reasons. 62 hits across a, a 60 game season is is pretty incredible. Played in 59 of 60 games to have 62 hits. On base percentage 366 OPS plus of 155 um, you know just across the board he was one of the top hitters in the game 17 homers and 45 RBIs in a 60 game season if you if you extrapolate that out that's like a like a 45 homer 120 RBI type season so i think he gets the nod over over Trey Turner, just because if we're going off of team success and what they brought to their teams, he has to make it.
0: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't I, I don't begrudge that, obviously. I think me feeling Trey Turner is the non-normal thought process.
1: I think it's more normal. There's a case for both of those guys, now.
0: And one of the ones that had a small case, but it really
1: would have been a stretch,
0: was um, Dansby Swanson had a really nice year, too, out in Atlanta.
1: A key part of my fantasy team, Dansby Swanson.
0: I'm very happy for you, Ted.
1: Also, okay. in outside on the bump news, there is an interesting trade that was popped around at the beginning of the season when Juan Soto was hurt, oh. where Bob and Nick had a trade offer on the table that involved Juan Soto and Fernando Tatis. Ultimately, Bob rejected the deal, and it kind of Although Bob did win the fantasy league, so yeah, maybe yeah, that's maybe right. I won. I won. Didn't yeah. matter what the trade was. I fucking won.
0: <laughs> it ended up not mattering. But the whole point was that it's, Bob, that Bob had no idea who Fernando Tatis was, and that, yeah,
1: and he still won our fantasy league. Yeah, like which is the problem. I, I
0: honestly could have been like, I'm gonna offer you any any name that he knew he would have considered. I could have been like, um,
1: Elvis Andrews.
0: Elvis Andrews, Todd Helton, and Paul Konerko, And he'd been like, oh. I had Elvis <laughs> Andrews. <laughs> he did have Elvis. Paul Andrews. <laughs> I also
1: had Pujos. <laughs> Elvis Steve? Andrews had an OPS plus of 58 this year. <laughs> <laughs> Steve 58? Finley. I mean, he, he didn't last
0: long on my team. I'm gonna offer you Steve Finley in a third-round pick. And he'd been like, ah, consider it.
1: Speaking, <laughs> speaking of speaking of once. Tony Womack.
0: Tony Womack. That was the second name I was thinking of. Speaking of Juan Soto, we start off our National League outfielders here. And uh, what I'm going to do here for this one position, I'll just do all my three. Then you can do your three. Um, When I pick my All-Stars, I think it's how they do it. I don't go by position, meaning left, center, right. I just go three outfielders across the board. Um, So my first one here is Juan Soto. I think he was awesome. When he was healthy, he really lit it up. 13 home runs, 37 RBIs, 351 average. He really hit well, had a really nice year. Second outfielder we've seen now. In the MVP consideration as Mookie Betts. Numbers were good. 16 home runs, 39 RBIs, 292. But it went a little deeper. His, uh, really, his stats really were in the – his glove was awesome. His war was really good. I lost the war number. I had it in front of me somewhere before, but his war was really good. Um, and He's definitely worth, worth being in the consideration for where he is. And the third guy who I was with you, I thought he could have been considered for the MVP, was Marcelo Zuna. I just think him being teammates with Freeman kind of flushed him out a little bit, but, and his, and he doesn't play much in the field, Ozuna, which also hurts him. 18 home runs, 56 RBIs and a 338 average. Ozuna was awesome.
1: Yeah, I have, I have Juan Soto. He is basically the best offensive player in baseball. OPS plus of 212, which is ridiculous. OPS of nearly 1200. He got on base nearly half of the time as base percentage, was was four ninety. Um, just an all around great season from one of the young up and coming stars in baseball. Um, second outfielder I have is Acuna. So Acuna had a great year, or not Acuna? Why do I have Acuna there? I meant Az- Ozuna. I wrote Acuna. I meant Marcelo Ozuna. Yeah, Marcelo Ozuna. Marcelo Ozuna. O- had a 175 OPS plus, OPS of nearly 1,100, 56 RBIs, and had a 60-game season, also 77 hits. Ozuna was the key player on my fantasy team, driving my success. He's really, you know, getting into the prime of his career here. He's 30 or 29 years old, so it's really time for him to show up. There are a lot of interesting free agency rumors about him going around so interesting to see what happens there my third guy on this list is where we differ um I looked at stats Mookie Betts doesn't really come up a ton this year he had a good season he would have made an all-star all-star team I think if it wasn't for for I think you have to put Bryce Harper in there Mm -hmm. I have Bryce Harper on base percentage 420 OPS plus 157, um, 51 hits in a 60-game season. That's pretty good. Batting average wasn't great, didn't drive in a ton of runs, but he didn't play on a great team. Um, He drew the most amount of walks in baseball, which is pretty interesting. Pretty interesting little nugget there. And I just think Mookie Betts, kind of a lot of the Dodgers players this year kind of canceled each other out. I think they had pretty similar numbers Bryce Harper and and Mookie Betts but I just gave a slight nod to to Bryce significantly higher on base percentage for Bryce over Mookie 420 versus 366 slugging percentage was kind of comparable higher OPS higher OPS plus it, I think Bryce wins wins this one
0: yeah, it's not a bad debate there. Harper had a really nice season. Um, and again, we talked about it before. Maybe my mind gets tricked a little bit with the, the uh, recency bias in Mookie Betts. I don't know. I don't think I played a part in my, my head, but it very well could have. Now, moving on to the next position, did you do a DH for the NL? I did. Good. Okay. So then starting with that, for me, it's Dom Smith. Um, maybe that's biased. I don't know. Could be. Dom Smith, friend of the podcast. We love him. He raked. He had his best season of his career. And yeah, that's all I gotta say. Dom Smith is my guy.
1: Dom Smith is a friend of the podcast. Um You're gonna big time. fan of Mike or Dom Smith. So huge, huge props to to him and his success this year. But I have a different guy here. I have Mike Yaz. So Mike Yaz had a great season by a lot of offensive measures. One of the top on-base percentage guys in baseball, 400 on-base percentage. Slugging percentage was, was pretty high. Um, OPS Plus was up there nearly a 1,000. He, he Just all-around great season, like you said, with Donovan Solano. He was one of the key guys there. And those two guys kind of kept the Giants in the race.
0: Yeah, he had a he had a really nice season. We and like I said earlier, we talked about we talked about Yastrzemski, him and Solano were awesome. Um, Yeah, so I think Dom Smith is the guy that gets that edge. We just really want him on the podcast. So any any way we can fluff him up, um, even though he probably Dom
1: Smith. If you're out there, come through. Dom Smith and
0: Rob Manfred. Both of you guys are friends of the podcast.
1: No, 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 Rob Manfred. Dom Smith.
0: I can promise you we will let you on, Rob. All right, so pitchers. NL pitchers, I'll do it again. I'll just go through my starters. It's pretty self – I I would think the starters in the NL are very easy. There's one guy that I think is on the edge, but for me it is Bauer, DeGrom, you Darvish. I don't think there's much of a debate. I'm sure you're going to have a debate. I see you putting your finger up. Um, but for me it is Bauer, DeGrom, Darvish, DeGrom. 104 strikeouts and 68 innings pitched. He had the kind of season as a Mets fan that we looked and went, he was pretty average. But for outside fans looking in, he was dominant. And I think that's, we're kind of spoiled as Mets fans. We've seen it when back to back Cy Youngs and literally put on shows every night. And he was just as efficient this year. Uh, was ER, as some of his stats were higher in most of his career numbers, but then his walk per inning, strikeouts per innings were very high. Um, strikeouts per nine, sorry. But that also would have dropped as the season went on because the more games he played, probably. But, yeah, DeGrom, Bauer, Darvish, those were my three.
1: My three, I'm, I had a toss-up between the third, but just because you said one guy, I'm going to go with the other. DeGrom and Bauer are pretty obvious. Those are two of the best pitchers in all of baseball. DeGrom, 14 strikeouts. Per nine innings, the best in the national league, highest strikeout percentage in the National League, a low walk percentage. I mean, you go by you go by pretty much any measure, 190 batting average against, whip under one. Um and even with his batting average on balls in play being 288, which is pretty high. But that's not really necessarily – that's not the pitcher's fault. So that kind of shows that he might have even been better than what his stats show. I mean, his FIP was 226, which is incredibly low. That's, that's what? Uh, first, second, third. That's fourth, fifth best in the National League in terms of his FIP. Um, Trevor Bauer, obviously my second guy on this list. He had a great season by pretty much every measure as well. 36% strikeout rate. uh, 159 batting average against. His whip was .79. Interestingly, his left on base percentage, which is the percentage of runners or guys who get on base that he leaves on, 91%. So, when someone gets on base, he doesn't let him cash in a lot, which you can take that stat a couple of different ways because that could just be partially a luck or defense thing. But I think he still had a pretty great year. And the third guy I have on here is a bit of a wild card, but I think he's worth bringing up. Is to
0: guess? Sure. Is it? Lamet from San Diego. No. Nope. All right then, I don't have a good
1: guess. Corbin Burns. Okay. From I can. Brewer. Yep, yep, yep. You could. You could also. He kind of bounced around as a starter. I had him year. on my fantasy team too. Wow. wow. Yeah. He was, That's right. The team. He was a great contributor. That's right. He's strikeouts dominant. for nine innings. Uh, low walk rate. his walk percentage. strikeout percentage nearly 37, whip of one, batting average against 180, and his FIP was 1.64, which was by far the best in baseball. Second closest was Tony Gonsolin, surprisingly, had a 1.94 FIP. So you take what his ERA was and compare it to his FIP, and maybe he's an even better picture than than what his ERA may suggest. So, and he was obviously a key part of getting the Brewers to to the position that they they made it. So, I have him. Yeah. You Darvish also obviously had a great season, but I think you can't deny what what Corbin Burns did.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure we'll get into these numbers again in a couple minutes here when we. Yeah, so we're gonna definitely talk about them more later, um, but staying with pitchers, staying with the NLs. We wrap up NLs. We try to maybe shuffle through the American League a little quicker because we did we did get a little long winded on some of these, but that's okay. It's the it's the award show. My two bullpen pitchers. One of them is obvious in my opinion. It is Devin Williams. I think he was awesome. Um, and down the stretch, he was like perfect for anyone who loves stats and analytics. He was. He was locked in, going two, three innings at a time sometimes. He was killing it. 53 Ks in 27 innings, a .33 ERA, .63 whip was awesome. My number two guy, and maybe I I, I don't want to go all in and say this was my number two reliever in the NL, but I think I picked him because I just think we need recognition for how he handled the rest of the season. Now, the obvious answer here, I think, is Josh Hader. I think both Brewers guys could have been in. But I'm going to go – with Edwin Diaz, and here's why. Edwin Diaz, I think Mets fans... What? Excuse me? Because, listen, Mets fans need to learn something. Edwin Diaz, yes, he had... Oh, my God. He had 50 strikeouts in 25 innings. 50 strikeouts in 25 innings. Oh, a, my God. He had a ERA of 1.75. Outside of those blown saves in the beginning, when he got back on himself throughout the rest of the season, he was a dominant reliever down the stretch. Now, like I said before, I said this, would I pick him as the second best guy in National League? No. I just think it was fair to him to give recognition to the finish of the season, and I think Mets fans give him way too much hate um, the whole season in total. I think he actually showed out at the end and kept them in a lot of games.
1: I don't know about that Edwin Diaz pick. I don't know where that came from. That would be like me saying Raldis Chapman should make the All-Star team, but But I'm not going to waste too much time talking about that. So we'll get back into who the relievers should be here. Um, I have Devin Williams, best FIP in baseball in terms of relievers, by far the best ex-FIP, whip of .63, batting average against was under 100 at .090, he was just lights out throughout the year. 53% K rate, averaged 18 strikeouts per nine innings, which is pretty crazy. Um, and, yeah, it was a key part in the Brewers getting to where they got. The other guy I have on this list, yeah, my second reliever actually here is a little little out there. I have Victor Gonzalez. I think, you know, he had a width of .74. Um 23 strikeouts in in 20 innings across 15 games, and I know 20 innings doesn't sound like a lot across a a 60 game season. I mean, Devin Williams pitched, I think it was 27 innings, so not a major difference there. His ERA was 1.3, um, WHIP, like I said, was under under one. Um, there are a lot of measures here. He was a key part of the Dodgers bullpen and, and their success. And when you're a key part of a bullpen on a team that goes 43 and 17, you get a little bit of a, an extra boost for that. So that's why I have him as my second guy here.
0: Yeah, I guess that's fair. I guess the more I think about it, that's not the craziest, craziest uh, statement to make. And that's it for the National League. So we're gonna jump right into the American League. Todd, you started right up
1: with the catchers. AL catcher, I have Salvador Perez. He had a great season by a lot of the offensive measures. Um, obviously the Royals are pretty pretty terrible, but Salvador had a pretty good season by himself. OPS nearly a thousand, you know, WRC was pretty high. There aren't a ton of great catchers in in the American League. I think that's a position that's up and coming. So Salvador Perez, probably one of the last times he makes an all-star team going forward, it's, we see a, a changing of the guard in a couple of years.
0: Yeah, I I mean, we definitely agree. It's Sal Perez. It was pretty easy there for the American League. Um, But I don't think – I think he's going to be good for a couple of years. I think we've seen catchers can last a little bit play them at first a few days, play them at DH a few days, and just keep that longevity. Next position, first base. You're going to say – I think it's going to be a surprise when I say it, but then you're going to realize later on in the American League that it makes sense. Um, I'm going to say Luke Voigt. Uh, by all metrics, he was really good, very powerful first baseman, hit a lot of bombs. He was on my fantasy team. If you guys remembered or not, Bob won the fantasy league. I don't think he said that yet. Um, but, yeah, he was on my fantasy team and killed it uh powerful did all the metrics really well so i like i like quite a lot
1: so even though i'm a yankees homer i picked jose Breu here um obviously he's a finalist for the mvp uh, you know ops 987 he gets on base a decent clip um weighted on-base average over 400, which uh, pretty much only the best of the best of a weighted on-base average of over 400. Um, yeah, and he obviously, him and, and another guy I'll get into later in this, were, were key parts of the White Sox success.
0: Yeah, and I, if if you're listening to this, please don't stop listening as soon as I say Lou Foy at first and think I'm stupid for not putting Jose Abreu in my all-star team. Just wait for this all-star thing to, to, to finish off, please. Um, but, yeah, going on to second base, Todd, you can start off and it's a pretty easy one.
1: Yeah, it's our hero, our lord and savior, the machine, le machine, DJ LeMahieu, one of the best players in baseball, and the savior of the Yankees this he's year. Um, obviously, the batting champ in the American League, 364 batting average, on base percentage 421, OPS over 1,000. The guy barely struck out under 10% of the time. He was captain clutch light. Obviously, he's not their cheater, but he is. When he comes up to the plate, you know something good is going to happen. And he's just the man, and I love him, and I hope the Yankees offer him whatever he wants. If he wants to come on this podcast, although I'm sure he doesn't have a lot of words to say, he's welcome. He was, yeah, he
0: was pretty lights out. He did get a little small in the playoffs at times. And that's not even I don't want to mm. go. I'm not gonna go crazy on saying got small, but there was big moments I felt, just the eye test in a couple of the series where he didn't come through. A couple moments. He's worth whatever he wants. Um, most likely I have this gut feeling that somebody is gonna come in and offer him a mammoth amount that the Yankees won't match. That does scare me if I'm a Yankee fan, but he was awesome, obviously, is the best. Don't player. say that. I'm just being honest. Uh, I think a lot of the American League's pretty cut and dry, but we'll move on to shortstop. Uh, you know what? I'm going to let you go first, because I think I know exactly who you're going with.
1: Yeah, pretty obvious pick here. Obvious key contender, key contributor to the White Sox success. It's Tim Anderson. He was also a key part of my fantasy team. Um batting average, 322. He was in the in the, in the the batting title race for a while. Um, yeah, just by a lot of offensive measures, he had a pretty good season. Um, On-base percentage was kind of so-so, but the guy really did rake. Um, WRC was 143, which is one of the best in baseball. It's top upper echelon. And Yeah, he was just a winner for that team. If he wasn't on the White Sox, they wouldn't have gotten to where they got. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I I fully agree. And the ones we agree on, I mean, I easily could go in and say, oh, his numbers are this and that. But if Todd starts off the numbers, he's the numbers guy. I'm not going to repeat the numbers. I'm just going to say, agreed, and we're going to slide right on. Third base might be another one of those positions. Uh for me, it's it's got to be Jose Ramirez. You know, obviously an MVP finalist uh, defensively is really good over there in the hot corner. Todd, what are the numbers that back him up?
1: Yeah, Jose Ramirez is the guy, um, obvious MVP contender. When you look at Jose Ramirez's stats in terms of what he puts together on the offensive side of the ball, you know, slugging percentage-wise, he's quite far up there. Um, You know, 12% walk rate, strikeout rate pretty below average, OPS nearly 1,000, and he's top 10 in the league in WRC, so definitely a worthy pick there. Had a huge impact on, like we've said, on the Indian success, and if he wasn't there, they wouldn't have won, so wouldn't have gotten to where they got, so
0: yeah. I mean, and that's stats back him up, the eye test backs him up, a lot of things back him up. Um, now you got the outfielders. We obviously pick three in each league. Uh, this could.
1: I be- guarantee we're different here.
0: Yeah, I think we'll be different too. Um, I would think we'd agree on Mike Trout. Yes. Okay.
1: Yes. Um, I'm gonna let you take the other two first. And then we'll see. Okay. So Mike Trout. I don't think we really need to go through the numbers there. That's nope. that's you just. Pick him in to the all-star game for his entire career. He'll make it every year. Whatever. The other guys I have here are our king, King Clint Frazier. Clint had a great season. I don't care what you say. Clint had an OPS plus of 149 on base percentage of nearly 400. The guy got on base OPS 905. The guy just raked. I mean, he only played in 39 games because he kind of got the short end of the stick. Brian Cashman likes to play games with him for some reason. They like to play into his maturity. I don't know why when he's a grown man, he's a grown adult. Um, 35 hits in 39 games. Um, yeah, I mean, 26 RBIs in 39 games. Eight homers. So you, you stretch that out and do a, a – 60 or 162 game season. He's basically a 30 homer, 100 RBI type guy. So yeah, Clint is the, Clint's the man. He batted 267. I love Clint Frazier. He batted, Sorry? Two, he batted 267. Batting average is an antiquated stat, Nicholas.
0: I can't believe, I think you saying Clint Frazier is an all-star is almost as bad as me saying Edwin Diaz. And I didn't even say no, Diaz an all-star. I didn't say so that. Quint Fraser
1: October. was actually good. Quint Fraser was the, our cleanup hitter for a huge stretch of the season. I, I'm just go to your third one. I don't even want to do it. Go to your third one. Third guy, probably you also don't agree with here, but he had a great season. T. Oscar Hernandez. We
0: actually agree from the
1: Blue Jays. Oh wow, we do agree. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I'm I mean, batting long. average nearly 300. Uh, OPS plus 146. I think OPS plus is a huge stat in terms of determining what a player is worth. Um, 16 homers and 50 games. It, basically, you stretch out his stats, and he's a a 40 homer, 100 RBI type guy. So, and he's only 27. He's kind of burst onto the scene in in Toronto a little bit. His last two seasons before were kind of so so, but yeah. kind of showed up this year.
0: I mean, he – yeah, very good. He's part of that really nice young core out there in Toronto that they're starting to build up a little bit. And uh, I like – one of the tests I use in talking about players' work for that current season, and it's maybe just me, is I use social media and how many times I see big plays out of them and big moments and guys who are big MLB pundits talking about them. And it seems like he was talked about a lot this season. He's a guy definitely even on the rise still. I liked him a lot. My third outfielder for me was George Springer. I liked George Springer a lot. His defense kept it going. He batted. I mean, I guess, listen, I I guess me making fun of you for Frazier for the batting average was the wrong thing to target because Springer's batting average wasn't that exciting. Uh, 14 home runs, 32 RBIs, uh, 50 hits in 50. He won games, only played 51 games. So 50 hits in 51 games is nice. Um, Yeah, I just thought Springer had a nice balanced season and he's going to be a big free agent. And we'll talk about him later at some point. So,
1: yeah. I just think my boy Clint deserved it. Clint, if you're out there, want to shout out another friend of the podcast, come through.
0: A lot of friends in the podcast. Now,
1: lots of friends.
0: The DH for the American League. Now, this is what I was saying before. I didn't want you to yell at me. Um, Jose Abreu is my DH. I think he, him, and Voit reflected first in DH, but I think Voit plays first base more consistently. So I gave Abreu the DH spot. Nelson Cruz always could be up there in the conversation, also, but obviously I put in Jose Abreu on this list. So you heard the stats before on Jose Abreu. I don't need to go too deep. So that was big.
1: yeah, I mean Luke Voit would have made the All Star team in in a traditional world. But I have Nelly Cruz here, actually, which probably is going to surprise you. Um, you know, through all the stats, he was up there. OPS plus of 169, which is one of the tops in baseball. Um, he got on base a ton. He was way up there in, in terms of, of that category on base percentage, nearly 400. OPS, nearly 1,000. and he's kind of part of the older generation of the bash brothers for, for the twins who kind of play that Bamba baseball where kind of him and, and a lot of those other guys, big, big bats in Minnesota. Why am I blanking? Rosario,
0: Rosario, Max Kepler.
1: uh, Yeah. Um, Sineau. Yep. Donaldson. Miguel Sano. Yeah. That's the name I was blanking on for some reason, but. Probably because we just dominate them in the playoffs usually. So Yeah. Nelson Cruz had a great season coming towards the end of his career, but still good.
0: Yeah, and yeah. I I'm just happy I was there for you because I felt stupid not putting him in the beginning, but I knew where I was going with it. Starting pitchers, AL. This is gonna be a topic here. Um for me, I'll go first because I went I went back and forth all day and I had too much pride to change my pick at the last second, but Shane Bieber's a lock for me. Awesome. I'm sure Todd will tell you about the stats. Uh, Mayetta from Minnesota was unbelievable for me. I, I really like Fenton Mayetta's season. Then I went back and forth between Ryu and Cole, um, and all day went back and forth, and I really had a hard time not putting Cole in. So that's what ended up. I test, I put Cole in. I just ended up I, – I had to. I felt – he had a good enough season to be right into consideration with Ryu, so I did put Cole in, but Ryu was right right on the cusp, and as we were getting ready to record, they announced the finalists for the Cy Young, and it was Ryu, Maeda, and Bieber with no Cole. So,
1: ridiculous. I Absolutely think- ridiculous that Ryu is a Cy Young finalist. Other two guys are pretty cut and dry. Like you said, it's, it's Shane Bieber and, and Maeda. They were lowest batting average against the two of them in the in the American League killer strikeout rates Bieber's 41 percent Bieber was by far the best picture in in the American League and a lot of people want to talk about how like maybe the American League Central wasn't as good as people think it was and that's why there were a lot of inflated stats in that division and that's why they kind of flamed out in the postseason and we saw how the Yankees bats kind of dominated Shane Bieber and and put the Indians' hopes to bed. And my third guy, just Garrett Cole. I mean, we we saw him during the regular season, what he could do, one of the lower batting averages against. He was the number one guy on the Yankee staff, obviously. Got us through a lot of rough periods where there were some issues with the starting pitching on the Yankees, which happens a lot. And I just think he's deserving of an all-star position and I hope he wins world series many world series titles with us
0: yeah and I'm sure
1: we'll talk with them a little bit with the Cy Youngs coming up
0: um relievers real quick I, ha- I have it uh, Liam Hendricks for me was a lock I think he was awesome um and then I went between Brad Hand and Diego Castillo I liked Castillo's body of work a little better so I went with Diego Castillo
1: yeah I have Liam Hendricks I think that's pretty clear pick best reliever in the American League and I actually just put the whole Rays bullpen in because you can't really <laughs> pick between any of them and the way Kevin Cash over manages that bullpen.
0: Yeah.
1: A lot of those guys never really got as much time as maybe would have, would have they would have warranted to be able to qualify here. So.
0: Yeah, I think that was part of my uh, decision. I wanted someone from the Rays and SDO fit the bill. So. That's the uh, the all-star teams. So that's, that's who we believe would have been the Midsummer Classic, which was very difficult because we're not sitting in July and we had to go back in time and try to play it out as if it was. Weird. I think we did all right. Staying with the awards, we're going to go right to the coaches. Coach of the year in both leagues. I think we're going to differ on one of them. So I'm going to let you start with the American League, Todd.
1: Uh, This is a tough one. It has to be Kevin Cash. Unfortunately, I don't think there really is another answer there. I'm not really sure what other direction you could go in here. You know, without Kevin Cash and a guy who would buy into what the Rays were doing from an analytics standpoint, you know, if you got an old head manager there, if you brought in Tony La Russa on the Rays, you would have thrown the binder out the window with all the stats. So they needed a guy who was going to buy into that, and obviously that's why they picked him. But he's been able to, at least in the regular season, manage that pretty well. Playoffs, another story, could have maybe had a, a nod there for Bob Melvin from the A's, but I think. It has to be cash.
0: Yeah, and I'm different. I'm going Dusty Baker. I think what he did with that—they finished game,
1: under 500. Come I on, I don't
0: care. I don't care. I don't care. Come on, he made it to the ALCS in a season.
1: This isn't a postseason award, though. Uh, yeah. The
0: I mean, the coach of the year takes no. a little bit. It no. takes account. Of course, it does. No. Of course, it does. Mm. They always announce it after the World Series. Of, of course it takes account playoffs.
1: They announce all of them after the World Series.
0: Regardless, Dusty Baker did a phenomenal job. A team that he took literally a month before the season started. A team that was cheated, cheaters, of course. But he took that hey, can you hear me? I'm banging. He took a team that everybody hated and everybody was against and got them to the ALCS. I don't care how you spin it. I love Dusty Baker as the American League Coach of the Year. Kevin Cash is right there with him, but I'm going Dusty Baker. National League, I'm going Dave Roberts. I think he obviously led the league. Um, you could consider a few names. You could consider, consider Brian Snicker out in Atlanta, who had a pretty pretty nice, decent year. Um, Don Mattingly with the Marlins, of course, getting that team to the playoffs was awesome. But Dave Roberts wins the World Series, number one seed in the NL. Number one, number one seed in the MLB. Um, I'm going Dave Roberts.
1: I think Dave Roberts had a pretty easy job. I think Don Mattingly had a had a very very hard job, and he, you know, they got a bunch of Yankees winners on the Marlins. Derek Jeter, Don Mattingly. Well, Don Mattingly, never mind, didn't win a lot in or at all in in pinstripes. But I think Don Mattingly is a is a goat. Uh, had a great season. Drove the Marlins to the playoffs with really no talent so yeah yeah i think that was the
0: easier one of the two obviously the first one wasn't as easy jumping into the big major awards we're gonna start with the mvp and todd i'll start with you with the american league go
1: so i literally my notes here i'd say it's a three-way race between jose ramirez Jose Abreu, and DJ LeMahieu. And as we know, the finalists who came out were those three. So I could have predicted the finalists here. It was pretty clear cut and dry. There are a couple directions you could go in here. Uh, you know, DJ had a low strikeout rate, got on a ton, also was great on the defensive side of the ball. My pick here is Jose Ramirez just because I think he's the, the one guy who – you take him off the Indians, they don't get to where they get. They don't make the playoffs, most likely. Jose Abreu, if you take him off the, the White Sox, yeah, they struggle, but they also have a lot of other pieces on the offensive side of the ball that can kind of carry them. I think Ramirez getting hot, propelled the Indians for the playoffs, and that's why he deserves the award. I think it'll ultimately go to Jose Abreu, but my pick is Jose Ramirez.
0: So before I get the MVP pick, I just wanted to point out I just looked down at my, my, my phone, and they announced the finalists a couple hours ago. I didn't notice it for the managers of the year. The, the American League finalists are Kevin Cash, Charlie Montoya of the Blue Jays, and Rick Renteria Ooh. of the White Sox. Weird, wow. It's a weird three. Even though Rick got fired. Yeah, very weird. Manager of the Years for the National League are Don Mattingly, David Ross, and then Jace Tingler out in San Diego, which I think that could have been a good one. Jace Tingler in San Diego could have been a yeah. very big discussion. But we're on the MVP. I just wanted to point that out for a little bit further. MVP for me is Jose Abreu. I think you talked about the stats. I think you can go hand in hand with Ramirez. I don't think you're looked at crazy for saying either one. I just think Jose Abreu's season was a little more dominant. I think he dominated the season a little more than Ramirez. I know defense plays a role, but I I like Jose Abreu a lot. I think he had an awesome year. I think he kind of led it from start to finish. I'm going to Abreu here for the AL MVP. Now, National League MVP. I think we might agree. I could be wrong. I'll start it off here. I'm going to go Freddie Freeman. His season we talked about before was just outright awesome from start to finish. He crushed it from day one. Um, coming off, as like you said before, he was coming off Corona. He got dealt with it really hard. Still played every game. Um, dominated. I mean his his numbers. We talked about them before. We don't have to jump back into the numbers, but he he was a force. He made the two other guys in his team that hit very well look like they were just non significant. With Luzuna, Luzuna should have been talked about more, but isn't because of Freeman. Um Freeman just does this every year. He's he's just a monster. And his best year of his career
1: with in in
0: his best year of his career in a career that's been great. So that tells you a lot.
1: Yeah, Freddie Freeman is the clear cut winner here. There wasn't really a question here. Um Juan Soto had a pretty good year, but obviously the Nationals didn't make the playoffs and they're I'm kind of a believer in the MVP award needs to go to a team that is in the playoffs. So, and Freeman was top two in pretty much every statistical category offensively in the National League. It was either pretty much him or Soto. So I think you got to go Freeman. He had a great year, um, having a great career and it's kind of tops it off for him.
0: I mean, it was pretty easy, I think. I think you didn't really have an argument for any of the candidates. Maybe Machado, you can work something out, but I think it was pretty dominant. All right. Cy Young's final award here. We'll start with the American League. I think there'll be more discussion in the National League. Uh, my American League Cy Young winner is Shane Bieber. Um, I really thought about a guy for a second that I realized I was just kind of being dumb. However you want to say it, I know people, like you said, the AL Central's weak. Uh, there was three teams that made us to the playoffs in the AL Central, so I don't know what – and I'm not saying that stat or that number to say you were incorrect or that people are incorrect. I'm just saying it's hard for me to overlook a division that had three playoff teams. Uh, Shane Beaver, Jean Beaver was dominant, and I don't think there was much of a discussion throughout the season. Um, I'm going to go with
1: Beaver. Yeah, I think the the – choice, a pretty clear choice here, Shane Bieber. Uh, the number though that scares me about his his numbers is his left on base percentage, which I think they the stats say the league average there is 70 to 72%. His left on base average was 91%, and usually you want that stat to be averaged to reflect what a picture's actual value is, because left on base percentage is kind of a luck-based Stat because guys could be driven in on a variety of different ways, so take that with a grain of salt. Batting average against one sixty seven. We've run through the stats throughout yep. this episode. This has been a very stats-driven episode, yep. despite me being sort of an anti-stats guy <laughs> or sabermetrics guy, I should say. Shane Bieber's the pick here. You could have a case. I don't know if there's major case for Ada, but Shane Beaver should be the winner. Okay. High strikeout is just far and away the winner.
0: Like I said, there's a, there's a small second where I thought about it and tried to put a piece together, but it's just not there. There's no case for it. So we'll go to the National League. I think there's gonna be a little more of a discussion here now.
1: I, I, I don't had, think there is.
0: I think there, we'll see. I'm gonna let you go first in a second, but I, I've kind of went back and forth all day, and I've literally changed my decision as this Good. process went on. But I do have a quick thing, and I, let's see if this makes sense when I say it. I have a chart in front of me. Now, there is – it's going off of one, two, three, four, five, six, eight, nine major categories. Uh, it, it includes innings pitched, uh, the F4, FIP, ERA, hard hit percentage, barrel uh, percentage, whip, keys to nine, walks. you got the back. Nine major stats, okay? Now I'm going to tell you of the three guys that we're talking about, Darvish, DeGrom, Bauer. One of those guys led in five of the categories. One led in three, one led in two. Who do you think was five, three, and two?
1: Darvish, DeGrom, Bauer. I'm going to say Darvish led in five. Degrom and three, Bauer and two. You
0: you had it almost. Darvish five, Bauer three, Degrom two. With all that being said, with those numbers, I'm gonna let you go first with this one.
1: So, I still think it's Jacob Degrom. I think there are a lot of stats that that get kind of skewed with the Mets and their their lack of success that they don't really support Jacob Degrom highest. Strikeout rate in in the National League, I and mean, Yu Darvish is fourteenth, or fourteenth in all of baseball, I should say, U Darvish. So put him in the five ten range there. Those are the kind of stats you look at. Uh, batting average against, you know, Jacob Degrom is is ahead of U Darvish there, which is another key stat you need to look at, and Another stat, because we're, we're getting stat heavy here. FIP, they were pretty neck and neck, U Darvish and, and Jacob DeGrom. But when you take XFIP, now we're getting fancy here. <laughs> Jacob DeGrom, by far, far and away better than U Darvish. Jacob DeGrom had a 2.46 XFIP. U Darvish was 2.82. And for the non-stat nerds out there, FIP kind of measures what XFIP kind of measures, it normalizes fielding as part of a picture's value and how that plays into it, you know, what, what ballpark they're in, home run component, all that fun stuff. So pretty valuable measure when, when you're trying to prepare players. And I think we'll get into all this fun as we build out fantasy baseball teams throughout the year.
0: Yeah, and okay, so I went back and forth all day. For the majority of the day, I did have you, Darvish. I really liked his season. Um, going into today before looking at all the numbers, I actually was thinking Bauer, um, and then looking deeper, I went lean towards Darvish, and I'm happy I gave you the stats before, the numbers of total categories, and I'm happy I'm putting my feelings out there for Darvish because I'm going to say Jacob deGrom, but I want to, myself to not feel stupid if Darvish does win and not feel like, I didn't want to do DeGrom, because sometimes when you're a fan of the team, you get clouded. Um, but I think as Met fans, I think I said this before, we're kind of uh, spoiled with DeGrom, meaning not that we sit there and go, if he has one bad outing, and we say he sucks, we want him traded. That's not what we're saying here. But he has two straight Cy Young years, and this year we're like, yeah, he was all right. But again, he's in the Cy Young discussion. he's probably could chance he wins the Cy Young for the third straight time would be the first one to do that since I believe the last two were Randy Johnson and Greg Maddox, who did three straight. That's the last two. So he being great company, obviously hall of fame company. Um, but I think like you said, you went about the numbers and I'm not getting deeper in those numbers because you did a great job with that. But to Grom to me is the pick. I think um, everything else matches, eye test matches, everything like that. Dominant pitcher. Uh, he even upped his velocity this year on his on his pitches, and which was awesome. I love DeGrom, and I think he's the, the, the favorite here, the winner. Now, as we kind of get to wrapping up, a couple things here before we go, and we will do, Todd, we'll do a quick little bit on the baseball history. We'll let Todd leave that one. Uh, but but before, we, before we jump into that, I wanted to jump in because next week, we're probably going to do our kind of off-season prediction show where we Dive into free agency. Dive into maybe some trades we might want to see stuff like that. But before we get into give you a little taste, I want to do one off-season prediction. Could be free agency, could be trading, could be whatever. And I'll start it off. Um, I've seen it a few places now. I think there is background noise behind it because I think there's there's talks that no one's really seeing. I'm gonna say George Springer signed with the Mets. I've seen it a few places now. There's a lot of talk, obviously, with Steve Cohen coming in of the Mets spending their money. Um, I'm going to say George Springer ends up with the Mets on a five-year deal. That's my prediction.
1: What's my major prediction? Um, I think Masahiro Tanaka will not re-sign with the Yankees. I think they're going to get a little cash tight here, and they're going to throw most of their money at retaining DJ LeMahieu.
0: Yeah, I, I read something yesterday or today that Tanaka is looking for a three- or four-year deal. So I feel like that'll take the Yankees out of the equation, and I can see him signing with, like, the like Braves. Imagine. I can see the Mets. I really could, and I kind of want, I mean, we don't have a Mets man by now, I kind of want Charlie Morton more than Tanaka. I think that's reasonable. Um, but I wouldn't, I don't know. It's not gonna, we'll see, because he'd be down on the depth chart. I mean, we have, we have DeGrom, we have Noah returning because Noah's excited with Stevie Cohen. He's happy that Wapons are out of the equation. And I think Strowman returns. I think what's gonna happen is he's gonna check his market out. And I think the one year 18 prove it for him is gonna be an awesome contract. Um, and I think he returns on that. Similar, I think the Giants are the same thing with Kevin Galsman. I think it's the same kind of concept. Um, so yeah, that's our offseason prediction. And as you always do on this, we do the baseball history. Todd lead the baseball history today.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll jump into this real quick. But today is an interesting day in Yankee history. 25 years ago, to the day, they signed Joe Torre as their manager. And a lot of people, a lot of the famous things that go around, um, kind of Yankees slash New York sports Twitter, are the old newspaper headlines from that day. Clueless Joe, like talking about how the Yankees are just continuing to make bad decisions, and that he's, he's a laughing stock. The Yankees are a laughing stock. And one of the favorite books I've read, and it's sitting on my bookshelf, is The Yankee Years, Joe Torre detailing all of the success, the ins and outs of his tenure as a Yankee manager. And obviously, for Yankees fans of my age, it pretty much represents the greatest time. In our, in our fandom as sports fans, and I just think Joe Torre would be not happy with – he wouldn't have taken – or he wouldn't have taken Blake Snell out of that game. No shot. Would have never happened. But, again, he's kind of now in the same breath as Tony LaRue said, being an old manager, which don't even get me started with the White Sox hiring Tony La Russa. I think that's one of the most ridiculous moves ever but okay.
0: yeah I first of all I'll start with the the, the, the point about Joe Torre obviously outside looking in as a Met fan he uh, obviously set the tone for the Yankees organization or the the modern era Yankees organization and put them into focus and obviously you can't deny what he's done um, if you have a chance there is a documentary on Fox Sports 1 I watched last week I said Fox Sports really weird there but Fox Sports 1 I watched it last week. Uh, it was with the 2000 World Series. And um, you can see they just shot it and did it because a lot of the people in the uh, doing the interviews were wearing masks. So you can see it was a very new um, thing they put together. But it was awesome. So if you have a chance, watch that little shameless plug there. Um, but you were saying it before about Tony La Russa. I think it's a weird hire because that's the kind of hire you do when you have, a team that hasn't really took that next step yet. They're on the verge of that next step. Like, I don't even know, like, like the Blue Jays, for example. You know like That kind of team that still has that step to go. I think White Sox took their major step this year, and I wouldn't have been crazy to give Rick Renteria one more year, but that's just me. But, yeah, that's baseball history with Toddy G. So, with all that being said, that is the On the Bump Award Show. And <laughs> – That was a lot, a lot of stats, a lot of words, a lot of stuff. Um, Not all of our podcasts are going to be stat-based, but that was part of today's episode. So I do hope you enjoyed. Keep an eye out next week for the off-season special, the off-season primer. we will go into a bunch of free agents next week, so that'll be fun. Uh, From all of us, thank you for listening. Tally G.
1: Oh, yeah. Great show. More to come.
0: More to come. Thank you, Babu, for producing. We will see you guys next week. Actually, yeah, we'll see you next week. That's right. Have a good one.